0: So my first encounter with superpowers was through a video game. It was 1997, I was around six years old, and my family had just moved to Queens, New York. As a Christmas present, I received a Game Boy and my first video game to go with it, Pokemon. For the few of you who might not be familiar, the basic premise is this. You are a kid in this new alternate universe. Your aim is to go out and explore and find these creatures called Pokemon that each have their own superpowers. They'll travel with you, they become stronger, and you fight bad guys together. Six-year-old Sebastian had never experienced anything like this at all. And like most kids of my generation, it basically took over my life. My first ever Pokemon was Bulbasaur. It's a little frog like, amphibian, lizardy dude with a giant plant growing out of his back. And his superpower was that he could control plants. He had these vines that he could whip around, he could shoot razor sharp leaves, and he even had these spores that could poison or paralyze or just put you to sleep. And then there was Raichu, who's the evolved form of Pokemon's main mascot Pikachu, but in my mind, objectively better. Its superpower was to shoot electricity. And then there was Arcanine, who was this just giant, very cool, fluffy fire dog. Pokemon was this perfect fit for me as a kid. It was everything I wanted to do. I could explore the strange new fictional land, find creatures with amazing superpowers, and learn more about them. What is not to love about that? But what I could have never expected was that when I grew up and I became a biologist, I got to find even cooler superpowers right here on regular old planet Earth. I'm Sebastian Echeverry.
1: And I'm Rutendo Shackleton.
0: And this is the BBC Earth Podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. This episode is all about superpowers. We'll learn about the science behind superheroes with expert Mike McCarg. We'll meet some life saving rats in Tanzania, and we'll jump into a web and activate our spider senses.
1: So, I have a confession. Okay. I totally missed the boat on Pokemon. <laughs>
0: Wait, really? How? How did it? was everywhere.
1: I mean, OK, well, the, uh, not so much missed the boat as like saw the boat coming into the harbor and sort of like watched it just go.
0: <laughs> OK, OK, that I get.
1: But, you know, I love the idea of these animals who sometimes kind of look like animals that we see in real life, but they have these superpowers that are like unique to them. Yeah, I love that. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one of my favorite things about Pokemon, the creatures in that world. They're based on a lot of things in our animal kingdom. But it's not just Pokemon, right? I feel like everywhere when you look, there are all these super-powered beings in fictional media, and you know, superheroes, that are drawn from inspiration in the natural world. Actually, Rutendo, I have a game for you. Oh, I'm intrigued. The game is... How many animal-based superheroes can we both think of in one minute? Oh my gosh, okay, okay. Just for fun. Yeah. The the prize is the satisfaction of knowing that we are animal superhero experts, Mm -hmm. but also internet bragging rights.
1: Oh my goodness, this challenge is right down my alley. I'm, like, freaking out right now.
0: (laughs) All right, let's do this. (laughs) Oh, does that even count?
1: I'm, like, thinking of... If I've got any more.
0: Okay, I have an interesting one. Yeah, no. Think of any more?
1: I feel like there's more. Oh. All
0: right, time is up. How many did you come up with?
1: I have 27.
0: Oof! Okay, that that is that is a big number. Yeah, I'm showing how nerdy I am. <laughs> I have 16, or maybe like okay, a, in the low 20s, because there's a couple of edge cases of I don't know if they count. Oh, uh, that's
1: okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Give me one that you got.
1: Right. So my first one is Wolverine. Right, mm. the X Men. Of course. He is grumpy and tenacious and aggressive, just like the real life.
0: Wolverine. Of course, of mm-hmm. course. I have to start with, obviously, my number one, Spider-Man. Yes. For many of the powers of a spider.
1: So I have Cheetah. Cheetah? I
0: didn't even know about Cheetah. She's a
1: villain. She's one of Wonder Woman's foes. Villains count? Villains count. They are super powered. Okay. All right. (laughs) They are super powered.
0: My list just blew up here. Brilliant. I was doing just heroes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So Cheetah's one of Wonder Woman's arch enemies. She's got a tail. She's very quick. She's very strong. Very cat-like. Awesome. Just like a real life Cheetah.
0: I will see your Cheetah Mm -hmm. and I will raise you. Barnacle Boy from Spongebob. <laughs> he is grumpy and doesn't want to do things, much like a real life barnacle that just has evolved to sit there and do nothing all day.
1: <laughs> I do not have Barnacle Boy on my list, so that's brilliant. Got it. Oh uh, Barnacle Boy. I have Catwoman. Yep. But actually she's a technicality because Catwoman doesn't actually have um super serum or anything, she is an athletic woman who is cat-like in how she basically trains her body, which I think is an amazing superpower anyways, to be so athletic that you can train your body to imitate...
0: An animal? Here's a clear one. We haven't even mentioned this yet. Batman and Robin. Oh, yes. Two animals. Classic. And um, especially Batman, all his
1: tech is inspired by bat characteristics. He uses echolocating technology, you know, his glider, his cape. All of that is very much inspired by the bats. And he likes to sit amongst the bats in his bat cave as well it's
0: the vibes too right it's the
1: vibes yeah yeah for sure it's the bat vibes but yeah i mean sebastian we could go on and on between the two of us especially now that you know that uh, villains are included in this
0: yeah my list has gotten much longer
1: <laughs> so i think the best thing would probably for us to post this online on social media for everybody
0: <laughs> absolutely
1: The thing is, somebody somewhere has created all of these characters. It's the hidden role behind every film or other piece of fictional media that deals with the business of superpowers. And it's arguably one of the most important. Mike McCarg, a.k.a. Science Mike, is a speculative biologist. Someone who dreams up powerful protagonists, settings, and storylines by applying real-life science to imaginary worlds. His job is to breathe life into superpowers and superheroes. But when he's drawing inspiration from the natural world, where does Mike start?
2: Let's think of a cool animal. I think the mantis shrimp is a cool animal that, like, not a lot of people know about. Right? Yeah. A mantis yeah. shrimp is uh, a crustacean mm-hmm. and uh, has a couple of really notable and exceptional abilities in the animal kingdom. And that's one place we start. Is there an animal that is exceptional in its ecological niche? And the mantis shrimp certainly is. It can see... An incredibly broad range of colors, invisible to most animals, humans included, far into the ultraviolet and infrared spectrum, and can see the same spectrums we see with much more detail, which means its sense of sight is a superpower. The other thing about the mantis shrimp that's really interesting is it has the most powerful punch. In the animal kingdom, mantis shrimp can uh, swing their mandibles so quickly they create a shockwave that can actually break aquarium glass. Now, let's imagine somehow, through a scientific experiment gone wrong, a scientist, a researcher gets infused with mantis shrimp DNA and they find over time, as their cells reproduce with this new DNA, that suddenly they can see more of the world than ever before in fact they can see uh, rats hiding in an alley because they can see their heat signature or flowers are more vibrant they can see the same thing that bees see and they see patterns no one else can which helps them investigate in a given situation and the other thing is when trouble rises up now they have a different musculature in their arm that allows a rapid punch that can create shock waves in the air well, you can imagine the script possibilities of this hypothetical uh, man shrimp, <laughs> which is a terrible name,
1: shrimp man. Uh, which is why I, I,
2: I focus on the plausibility and not yeah. the branding. <laughs> yeah. Shrimp Man's terrible, <laughs> um, but it would be a cool archetype and you could have an interesting story.
1: I mean, if anyone is listening, like Shrimp Man is ours. You can't come up with that. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's advised on the science for many films. Some are part of your favorite franchises, including the Marvel Cinematic Universe.
2: Writers write. They love to tell stories. And they don't always love to keep track of the minutiae that involves telling stories that are consistent with science or even a fictional science, a science fiction. And even if they do care, they may not understand evolutionary biology or quantum physics or relativity, and they want to tell a story that is consistent enough to help viewers or readers Mm. keep their suspension of disbelief. And when stories are inconsistent or inaccurate, some people can't follow the amazing story. So my job Mm. is to handle all the details of science so the writers don't have to. They can get back writing action sequences and jokes and uh, moments that tug our heartstrings.
1: Mike consults on a wide range of scientific fields. But first up, I wanted to ask him about evolutionary biology. That is, the way evolution has produced the diversity of life on Earth.
2: Look at a superhero like Black Panther you know black panther is named for a panther because the combination Mm -hmm. of the super serum and his his fantastical armor gives him a kind of stealthy high combat capacity like a panther but he's not actually directly genetically influenced by a panther in that case we have an overlap of traits that are descriptive but that's not always the case sometimes we actually see a merger in genetic or evolutionary traits. Spider-Man, of course, is the archetypical example of that, being bit by a spider and then being infused with spider DNA and therefore uh, adopting some of the abilities we see in nature. And so those two archetypes are important to consider, whether we're kind of having a a phenomenological similarity or an actual genetic similarity.
1: My co-host, Sebastian is a Spider-Man stan and he works with spiders and I think he secretly <laughs> wishes he kept it and have those powers.
2: <laughs> Unfortunately, spider bites tend to just uh, be minor medically significant yeah. and maybe cause some <laughs> tissue damage.
1: Do you think that animals they have superpowers already? Or are they only considered superpowers once we sort of impose them on us as humans?
2: I certainly love to think of uh, all kinds of traits we see in nature as superpowers. By the way, that includes humans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, superpowered cognitive intelligence. We have superpowered sensory processing. We might not have the sharpest senses in the animal kingdom, but our brains do so much processing, especially on things we touch and things we see, that we gather lots of information about the world. But we see superpowers all throughout the animal kingdom. There are animals that can put themselves into suspended animation, even survive being frozen. There are animals, microorganisms, that can survive exposure to the vacuum and radiation of space. There are animals who can lift fifty or a hundred times. Uh, their own weight. they are animals with hearts the size of a Volkswagen Beetle, right? Like just incredible scale in the animal kingdom. Now, when we scale that up into what I'd call a supernormal phase beyond what we experience in nature, often that's where superhero mythology comes into play. We take nature and we take it farther even than evolution has. And that's fun to watch and and really fun to imagine. But I hope it never erases the wonders all around us. And frankly, the imperative we have as a species to preserve all these superpowers that we see in nature.
1: Thinking about fire-breathing animals dragons, Godzilla. How do you describe the biology of fire breathing?
2: We already have animals that can produce venom and smells from glands, right? A skunk Mm -hmm. can spray a nauseous mix. A cobra can smit. So we imagine now uh, adding combustible molecules to that. Mm. So now we have a source of fuel Well, we have a catalyst in the form of oxygen in the environment, so now all we need is what? A source of ignition. Well, we understand that nerves already produce electrical energy. So we can imagine an animal evolving two things. Number one, a gland in the roof of its mouth that can spray a flammable chemical. And two an organ either inside or just outside of its mouth that created a spark. And then you would have an animal capable of literally expelling flame from its mouth.
0: That was such a cool conversation. It's really cool what he can do.
1: Yeah, to say that I really enjoy this conversation would still be an understatement. I mean, I have no (laughs) idea how Mike makes up these superheroes so easily. And, and, I know how fire breathing works now.
0: Right. It
1: is all about the combustible molecules in the throat. I am looking at Smaug and Godzilla and all the fictional dragons in a very different way. And what was amazing was that (laughs) Mike reminded me that there are animals that just spit out substances like cobras and lizards and skunks. And actually, side note... The stinky substance a skunk sprays contains combustible molecules too. So maybe we're not too far off of
0: skunks actually spraying fire from their butts. Oh my god. That's why in Pokemon Skuntank can learn Flamethrower. I've been I've been asking myself this for literal years cuz it didn't make any sense otherwise. <laughs> This conversation's really brought out that science isn't just for science. It's also this inspiration for art, for entertainment, and, like, definitely superpowers.
1: Yeah, and you know, it was also really interesting that Mike's process focused on logic and being plausible, creating superpowers and storylines that are reasonable enough for us to believe and to become invested in. And that's all rooted in biology and the evolutionary process.
0: So speaking of evolved superpowers, let's talk about the pangolin.
1: Oh, totally. Do you know they're actually the national animal of Zimbabwe?
0: Oh, really? That's, that's a pretty good choice for a national animal.
1: Yeah, they are. So it means that they are protected under federal law, and they used to be on our $2 coin.
0: Well, if you don't have an old Zimbabwe $2 coin handy, these guys kind of look like an anteater with like a plodding little waddle. But don't be fooled into thinking that they're pushovers, though. They're covered in these super impenetrable scales, so when a pangolin's under attack, it can just roll up into a ball, and they hide underneath that scale male armor. Actually, just kind of like the Pokemon that's based on them, Sandshrew, basically just a pangolin. But, despite the superpower, pangolins are not invincible. When they're curled up, they're vulnerable to humans, to wildlife trafficking. They sit still, so poachers can just pick them up and carry them off. Luckily, there's another super-powered animal that's got its back. We're in Tanzania with the non-profit organization Apopo.
3: You know, rats get a bad rap. They are generally seen as vermin, as pests. People are always trying to get rid of them. But once you see what they're capable of and how amazing they really are, I hope that it will change your mind.
4: So we work with African giant pouched rats. They are called pouched
3: rats because they've got cheek pouches. True to its name, it is (laughs) big, a giant rat, about the size of a small cat. They are native
4: here to Tanzania. They've got an amazing sense of smell, which is why we are working with them here for scent detection.
3: My name is Lily Shalom. I'm the communications manager at Apopo. My name is Dr. Izzy Sot. I'm a
4: behavior research scientist with Apopo. Apopo is a Belgian NGO. Our headquarters are based here in Tanzania where we train all of our rats to detect the trafficked wildlife in shipping containers. The trafficking of wildlife is a huge problem across the globe, of course, you know it affects the species that are being hunted and taken from the wild that then affects biodiversity and the climate. But also the trade is linked very closely to human trafficking, trafficking of weapons and drugs. Our rats can help in screening shipping containers at ports to detect wildlife that is being smuggled in there.
3: These rats, I think if, if we're training them on a particular smell, if something is giving off a particular smell, they can pretty much be trained to detect anything.
5: My name is Saeed Mshana. I am rodent trainer and research supervisor. The rat is supposed to stick the nose in the hole to sniff the sample inside the container. We can train them to sniff through the air vent, as we know that every container has an air vent on it. If it's a positive sample, the wildlife product inside the rat is trained to trigger the a beep sound. So the beep sound is feedback to the trainer to indicate that the rat have shown that this is positive. And if it's correct, then the trainer click and the rat get the food reward.
4: So we can teach them to do something when they encounter a specific scent, for example wildlife, like pangolins, which are the world's only scaly mammal. The positive reinforcement means the rat does something right, we're giving them food. We are pairing the food with the sound of a clicker. So it's our way to communicate with the rat, because neither of us speak each other's language. The sense of smell from our rats is comparable to that of dogs and we know they are being used in a whole range of things for sanitation. However, our rats have some abilities that dogs might not have. Our rats are small and light. So if you think somebody is smuggling something in a shipping container and you want your dog to screen that, you now need to unpack everything so that your dog can access it. Our rats are small enough to actually just be sent into the container, and that speeds up the screening process, right? Some rats learn super quick, Um, some rats take longer, but once they get it, they're the absolute superstars. Um, And I think our rats have, have great healthcare and retirement plans. They live out their days happily. They get nice food every day and do their thing. The oldest recorded rat we had here was 11 years old. Whereas in the wild, the lifespan of these rats is between five to seven years. So, you know, having rats that live way beyond that, I think speaks to the fact that they are doing well in our care and that we're looking after them well.
3: I mean, speaking for myself, before I started working at Apopo, I didn't really think much about rats, actually. Um, but they really grow on you. <laughs> and uh, I've gone really fond of them. Each of our rats is a huge asset to the team, so, we we need to treat them like the heroes that they are.
1: Wow, African giant pouched rats are so cool. You know, Sebastian, after listening to this, I decided to learn more about their super smell. And did you know that the African giant pouched rats have 1,145 olfactory receptor genes. So those are the genes that determine a being's smelling power. In comparison, dogs have 811, and we as humans have 396. These rats are able to sniff out landmines and help in search and rescue operations, too. And their sense of smell is so powerful that they've also been used to detect tuberculosis and HIV in humans.
0: Whoa. I had no idea rats could do something like that.
1: It's real-life superpowers. I think the thing that's very special about these rats is that they're helping to protect other animals. In this case, animals vulnerable to trafficking.
0: I am willing to bet there's a pangolin out there that's got a poster of their favorite giant pouch rat superhero (laughs) on their bedroom wall.
1: Superpowers may seem beyond the scope of reality, but the truth is that the species of our world All have evolved unique anatomy, behavior, and abilities that we as humans may perceive as superpowers, but allow them to thrive in their unique habitats.
0: And you know, that brings me to my favorite animal-based superhero. I've mentioned him already. You know who it is, Tendo. I do indeed. Of course, it's Spider-Man. Though I gotta say, the reason that I love Spider-Man as a character is more about who he is as a person... He's not a billionaire. He's poor, socially awkward, and pretty much struggling to manage every part of his life, even before the accidental acquiring of spider powers and all the ensuing crime-fighting. And in my favorite version of the character, with Miles Morales as Spider-Man, he's also Black and Hispanic, and feeling super isolated in a white-dominated society. And I can super relate to all of that. So, yeah, I'm a spider scientist, but Spider-Man's spideriness is kind of tangential to the character's appeal and doesn't actually come up a lot in the comics, which does get on my nerves sometimes.
1: (laughs) Okay, I didn't see that coming.
0: (laughs) What I'm saying, and this is coming from a place of love, Spider-Man, is that you gotta learn from real-life spiders. They're out there right now doing stuff that you can't and you haven't even thought of. It's time to go out and learn from the real-life inspirations. Though that said, there is some correlation between hero and spider. One of the superpowers that Spider-Man develops after he gets bit by a radioactive spider is an automatic warning system for nearby danger. He calls it his spider sense. With it, Spider-Man can notice an incoming punch, a hidden bad guy... Or even a car flying through the air right at him, and react, just in time to dodge, attack, and save the day. Well, this superpower is real, and it is used every day by real spiders. Spiders have these special hairs on their legs that listen for everything that is going on around them, both vibrations through the ground and sounds in the air. But web-building spiders take this super-powered sense even further. Each tiny vibration from anything that touches the web gets transmitted back to the spider. Some wriggling prey may be caught in it, or a potential mate is trying to signal its arrival. Spiders can pinpoint exactly where each sound is coming from and build a mental picture of the world of their web. Marcus Bueller and a team of collaborators from MIT have created a piece of technology that helps humans experience the sensory world of the tropical tent web spider. The team scanned this species spider web to create a 3D digital version. They designed a program to assign different sounds to each strand of the web, turning it into an instrument with thousands of unique notes. Imagine, you're a tropical tent web spider, sitting in a citrus tree in the tropics, with your web spread in the branches. Your superpower spider senses activate. The world around you starts to come into earshot. The breeze sways the whole web with gentle tones. And then, distinct twangs, something moves across several strands in succession. What could that be?
1: The BBC Earth podcast was hosted by me, Rutendo Shackleton,
0: and me, Sebastian Echeverri.
1: Our interviewees were Mike McCarg from Quantum Spin Studios, Lily Shalom, Saeed Mushana, and Dr. Isabel Scott from Apopo. With thanks to Marcus Bueller from MIT for the Spider Web Soundscape.
0: Our producers are Jeff Marsh and Rachel Byrne. The researcher is Seb Masters, with additional audio recorded by Charles Combe. The podcast theme music was written by Axel Kakutie. Mixing and additional sound design was done by Peregrine Andrews.
1: The production manager is Catherine Stringer. The production coordinator is Gemma Wooten.
0: The associate producer is Kristen Kane, and the executive producer is Deborah Dudgeon.
1: The BBC Earth podcast is a BBC Studios production for BBC Earth.